be here this morning. For Dennis, of course, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, every mom. Um, One thing I want to say about that is um, families. uh, There's a lot of pressure on families in this modern world that we live in. And uh, Mother's Day is an important day. It's a good day for family to get together. Uh, Kids bringing in grandchildren, grandparents. It's just a nice time. And then there's some people who are left out of that uh, because their families are, are, are away or for whatever circumstance. And I just want to say in my Christian walk, uh, there were many, well, two specifically, uh, women who came alongside me and became my spiritual mom. So just a note that it, it may be a, a flesh and blood thing for us today, for our moms, but there's also spiritual moms out there. Women who get on their knees and pray for, for people who they're not even related to. They take them under their wings and they mentor them. So just a note about that. There's, when, um, when I came to know the Lord, I happened to, we, we visited an aunt. I'm from the North Country of New York, as, as I've mentioned before. And we visited an aunt. She had us for dinner. Debbie and I, the kids were small. And we were just talking. And out of the blue, she shared. Now, they were a good Catholic family, grew up in a Catholic home. And she shared uh, with me that there was a nun in, in one of the orders up there that prayed for our family like every day. And I was like, there she is. There's the first spiritual mom that I had. And there were others that came alongside. So a nod to spiritual moms as well as uh, flesh and blood moms today. And obviously people are a, a little sparse crowd today. People have things going on. So... Um, so happy Mom's Day and welcome. It's my pleasure to fill in for Dennis. He's doing family things today. And, um, and I think the Lord's given me a message. It'll be ironic uh, when you see it because it's not about moms, um, which is fine. I teach a, a home Bible study. I've mentioned it before. Uh, we just completed this year the, the study of Matthew. And then we had the opportunity to spend some weeks in the book of Ephesians. So what I'm going to talk about this morning comes out of both of those studies. Um, so let's get to it. Um, let's do the reading, and then we'll have prayer, and then we'll have talk. So if we can have the first slide up there. We're reading this morning from uh, Matthew chapter 25, and it's the parable of the ten virgins. Let me read it to you. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in flask along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, Behold, the the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. So go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Later, the virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Um, the last few times I've spoken to you, I've pulled up parables from Matthew. Matthew is a big parable gospel. And uh, I've shared with you as well that parables always scared me. I, I, you get to the end here, and he says to the, the five foolish virgins, Lord, Lord, open up for us, and he says, I do not know you. That's kind of a scary thing to hear from our Lord. So before I get into this any deeper, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. It is there to open up our hearts and to draw us closer to you. And I pray, Lord, that that would be my message this morning. Lord, that that you would give life to what I'm about to say. That you would allow it, Lord, to be a blessing to someone here this morning. We thank you for it, Jesus. Seal us in for a few moments, Lord, as we spend time with you. And open up your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Well, uh, I began looking at this. Of course, I looked at it for the Bible study. uh, And I use uh, John MacArthur's uh, study to help with a lot of this. And I I opened it up again this week. And he doesn't say a lot about the meaning of this parable. But basically, it's an end-time parable. It's set at a time when Jesus was teaching the disciples what to expect. It's at the end of the gospel. It's about Jesus' return for his church. Jesus, of course, here is the bridegroom. And the ten virgins, they represent believers waiting for Jesus' return. Now, the thing about the virgins is, many of the commentators that I read this week, I went and, and researched a couple, and, and a lot of them struggle with this idea that there are ten virgins at the top waiting for the bridegroom, and at the end they get shut out. So what does that mean? What does it mean to us in this room? Can you be shut out of the kingdom? Virgins, we know, are believers. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a virgin. You are a new creation in Christ. Do you believe that? You are a new creation. And by virtue of that, you're made pure and you're made holy. And that's the reference to a virgin here. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians eleven two. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband. That to Christ, I might present you as a pure virgin. So with the help of uh, a book that was given to me at Christmas, uh, Watchman Nee, my, my son gave me this. It's a book called Sit. Walk, stand. I encourage you to get this if you want to go deeper with the Lord. It's called The Process of Christian Maturity. Some of my thoughts this morning will come from from me. One of the thoughts he says here is that all these ten virgins are are born-again believers. They're Christians. They're going to go to heaven. So what's the difference between the beginning of the parable and the end of the parable? And that's what we're going to explore this morning a little bit. Now, I mentioned to you that we also did a study on Ephesians. Um, and that was based on this book that Nee uh, presented me with. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So I'm going to take you for a few moments. We're going to jump out of the parable. We're going to jump into Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And he talks about this process. And I just want to point some things out to you. And then we're going to pull it back and put it back into parable. And then we're going to explain a few things. And, and then I'll let you go. How does that sound? Okay, so let's go to slide two. And, and I'll read these, but I want you to notice I've highlighted some, some parts of the verses. First thing we learn, Paul learns, teaches us in Ephesians, is that when he raised him from the dead, Ephesians 1, verse 20, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Of course, that's Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead, He arose, he ascended, and he's with the Father, seated with him at the right hand in heavenly places. Then later on in Ephesians chapter 2, 5 through 7, we read this. Made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of, of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. When you are seated someplace, that is a positional occupation. Right now, you are all seated before me. That is the place you are occupying. That's where you sit. Paul talks about Jesus being seated with the Father. And where are we seated? We're seated with Christ. We are in Christ. That's a positional place. Then he goes on. Um, well, let me, let me just give you some of the things. You're going to recognize in some of these passages, Dennis has been talking about this for the last, what, three, four weeks in his Colossians study. A lot of it is very similar, very parallel. Of course, Paul's the author of both. So you get a blend of both at the same time. So this idea that you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies is very important. If you don't recognize that in your walk, then you're missing something. You need to go back. 
I would encourage you to read these two chapters in Ephesians. Reread them. Get them deep inside of you. If, if you have any doubts about who you are, who you are in Jesus, you need to just let this come inside of you. Don't argue with it. Don't fight it. Don't reason with it. Just let it be. Because that's what seated is. It's just being. You're in a place. He says uh, in the first chapter, this is Paul now. He says, I pray that your eyes, or pardon me, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. It's a powerful place to be seated with Jesus. I encourage you to seek that out. Then we have slide three, and he, Paul then goes into this. So once you are seated, then you can walk. And here are some verses for that. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, walk in them. Ephesians 4.17, then walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Ephesians 5.2, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you. That was a big part of Dennis's message last week. Ephesians 5.8, now you are the light of the Lord, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Ephesians 5.15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Last week when I was, when I was deciding, is this what the Lord wants me to share this morning? Is it important for me to share this? Uh, John Russo stood up here. There were a lot of announcements. And right at the end of it, <clears throat> He made a reference. I don't remember the exact quote, but he said these words. He says, make the most of our time. So there's two elements to this talk this morning. One of them is time. Dennis also last week talked about surrendering to the Lord. You are loved right now, today, in the present. A reference to time and a reference to being seated with him. So... Then Ephesians wraps up with, um, excuse me, Ephesians wraps up with, um, with the next slide, which is we are then able to stand. So the, the process is not one that you would think. Normally you would think that you are seated, you stand, then you walk. That would be a normal process. As many of you know, my daughter Erin just had ACL surgery. She went from a seated position to a standing position, and now she's learning to walk on that reconstructed knee. But that's not the way it works spiritually. Spiritually, you are seated, you walk, and then you stand. And that's what Paul says here. He says in Ephesians six eleven through 14, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, it's a process. You don't become a Christian and you're there. You become a Christian and you begin to learn new ways. The first thing you need to learn is to be seated with him in the heavenlies. Find out where your seat is. Find out where your basis is. The promises in the early parts of, uh, of the letter of Ephesians gives you a good, sure foundation. You will not doubt who you are. One of the things it will, will show you is that your salvation is true. It's not based on you. And that's why the, the parable of the virgins is so difficult for us to deal with. Because if they truly are virgins, what happens at the end? And why do they get shut out? And I hope, I hope to show you a little bit of that this morning. Kind of answer that question. Um, last week, Dennis uh, said there would be a little test this week. And I said, yeah, okay, we can take that up. Uh, he was quoting from Romans 8, uh, 38. Who would like to repeat that for me? All right. Never, I'll get you off the hook. I'll, I'll read it to you. And, but I want you to pay attention. He, if you remember the verse, and I hope you do, 
He said, for I am convinced, again, Paul writing in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ our Lord. Please remember that. When you're in a difficult time and you're down, things are oppressing you, you just want to give up, please remember that you cannot be separated from him. It's impossible. He has sealed it. Uh, But in the middle of that, all these things that, that will never separate us from him, death, life, angels, demons, powers, height or depth, in the very middle of that is this little statement that says, neither the present nor the future. And that speaks about time. Time belongs to Jesus. In the parable, in the parable, time's an important factor. Let's go back to the first slide, Jaron, and just put up the parable. And you'll notice that um, verse 5 says, now while the bridegroom was delaying, They all got drowsy and began to sleep. All ten, the wise and the unwise. You see, when things are delayed, we tend to drop off. We tend to get a little sleepy. We tend to not, we're not quite as alert as perhaps we should. When there's a crisis, we all pop up. We all get pretty excited. We focus. TV goes on. We're focused on the crisis. We talk to our friends about it. Find out what's going on. Everybody's buzzing about it. But when things calm down, when the bridegroom delays, when Jesus doesn't seem to be as active in your life, you tend to get a little drowsy. And you know what? That's the human flesh. The flesh doesn't strive with the Lord. And it's normal. There's no judgment on that. It's just a fact. It happens. So there's a time element here. And, um, and I want to I talk about what that means for a, minute, a bit. The, the two things I want to focus on in the parable are time and the oil. Two very important things. The time puts pressure on the oil. So what do you know about time? Do you have enough of it? <laughs> Time's an interesting thing. If I were a scientist, and I'm not, I could probably go on and on about time. There's some cool theories. Uh, Certainly Einstein played with it a lot. I don't know anything about that. I don't pretend to. Uh, I happen to be privy to a conversation not too long ago. I, I do believe in creation. I don't know where you're at with that. I believe God created everything. I believe he's the author of everything around us. And I came to that after I came to the Lord. I was, I was a student at the University of Connecticut. I, I have a degree in natural resources conservation. It has a biological component, biology. And I was taking a zoology course. Um, and I came to the Lord and it just suddenly, this is long before creation as a uh, ministry or as a topic was really popular. And it just, just the Bible became alive and it seemed real. And I began to realize that evolution was not, it was not the way it is. He did create. There was a flood. All of that was real. It became real to me. Um, so I was part of a conversation recently where this conversation came up. This topic came up. People were sharing about how unique the earth is. How, how life on the earth, is. if you look at the universe, is very unique. And, and it's special. A little degree this way or that will change everything. There was an article in the, in the Hartford Current this, just this morning. There's a, a group in Holland. I don't know if you're aware of this. You might want to get on board with it. So I'll be the first to tell you. Uh, they're planning a trip to Mars. So yeah, I, you might want to sign up. I, I'm not sure what it'll cost. I think it's $38 to get your name in. 18,000 people have signed up already. 38 bucks, 18,000. It's a one-way trip, exactly. Did you catch that? You might want to make note of that. 
All right, we, we Googled it yesterday. It takes between, uh, I could be wrong on this. It was a, a brief uh, examination. It takes between a year and a half to, to, say, two years. Depends on where, when you leave Earth and where Mars is when you leave Earth. There's a short time and a long time. Of course, there are other issues, like there's no atmosphere that's uh, on Mars, so you're going to be subject to radiation. There's no oxygen. There, there could be a few other things. I hope you're comfortable living in a pod for... for um, for a year and a half all alone, you know. So there's a few things you might want to deal with. But the earth is unique. It was created for us. It was created for life. And, um, and along with that, he created time. Time didn't just occur. It's a creation of God's. And the, as the discussion went, some people raised this idea of the Big Bang theory and i know as evolutionists go they talk about millions and billions of years and i and i didn't say anything in the conversation i i didn't feel led to to begin some controversy other people said a few things and were enlightening but i i just didn't feel like it was for me to say something i just prayed that the conversation would go well and and later on thinking about it I began to think about this idea of time in relationship to something like the Big Bang. And I just want to say to you, I don't think our Lord would allow millions and billions of years between the time he started this and the time he came again. I think he's closer to us than that. So as a witness to me, to my spirit, I just felt that the time element is closer than what we're being told. Uh, so you can do with that as you wish. That's a little addendum to the talk this morning. But one of the things we need to do is to, to, uh, to, to surrender our time to him. A little look at Strong's Concordance. Um, the references of time found in Strong's Concordance. Day is mentioned 1,732 times. Days, plural, 855 times. Days, as um, each day's trouble are sufficient unto themselves. Days as a possessive noun is nine times mentioned. Time in the Bible is mentioned 619 times. Times, 146 times. The word hour is used 94 times. Season, 56 times. Seasons, plural, is 12 times. And then the word ages, as in a poaches, uh, age upon age is four times. The idea of time is covered in the Bible. It's not foreign to God. It's not unique to us. He created time. We exist in time. Two of my favorites are Hebrew 3.13, Hebrews. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. Live in the presence. Uh, Acts 1.7, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epoches which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Not only did he create it, it is by his authority that it exists. Time is not a random idea. It is completely part of the creation. Time exists in this parable. There's a delay in the time. It affects what happens to the ten virgins. Five were ready for it. Five were not. Now, I could end it right here. I could say, what are you doing with your time? How do you spend your time? Notice that the wise virgins told the unwise ones to go purchase more oil for their lamps. And while they were away, they missed out on the, on the bridegroom. The way to purchase oil is with your time. How you spend your time, your allotted time, is how you purchase your oil. But that's not where I want to end it because I don't want to end it. We all waste time. I mean, I couldn't come before you and say, oh, you, you use your time wisely when I myself don't even know how to do that. I waste buku hours of time. Buku is Greek, meaning many. Okay? In case you were wondering, you want to look it up later. Um, 
All right. I, I couldn't. I, I started this and I said, I, I can't go there. I can't honestly stand in front of you all and say, spend your time wisely. Two reasons. One is I don't do it. And the other reason is you don't do it. And you can't do it. It's not something you can do. We do it at occasion. We attack a project. We get it done. We move on. Boy, that went well. And then something comes in and it distracts us and we, we forget about it. I'm, I'm seeing smiles out there. It's Mother's Day. How many fathers in here have promised time to their wives for Mother's Day? Or promised a project to be done because of Mother's Day? You know, it, it, it puts us in a quandary. Yeah. Um, it, it, time is a difficult thing. We squander it. We waste it. We get under it. But I don't want to put that on you. I just I want to show you another way. And it's in the parable here. And I hopefully the Lord will bless you with that. Let's go back to slide two or go forward to slide two because this is slide one. Um, I've underlined Ephesians 2, 5 through 7. The very last thing you see there is in this word, in Christ Jesus. I want you to know when you read that in the Bible, when you read Paul's letters and you read those words, notice, let me read it to you. Verse 7, so that in the ages, the idea of time, to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us who are in Christ. Towards us in Christ. Whenever you read in the Bible those words, in Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, that's a positional statement. That's a legal standing that you have before God. So when you're seated with Jesus in the heavenlies, when you are in Christ, that's your legal standing. He died for you on the cross. And you now have a legal standing before the Lord. You didn't earn it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But the Lord died on the cross for your sins. The only thing you can do to get in on that is to accept that death for yourself. To confess Jesus as your Lord and accept it. That's a positional place. That's how you become seated in the heavenlies. But then as Paul points out in Ephesians, then we go into this thing called walk. That's a whole new ballgame. You may have a legal seating before the God of the universe who created all these things. But you've got to walk it out in this world. And that's where the problems come. That's where it gets dicey. That's where you spend your time doing the wrong thing. That's when you fail. Okay, so you get that for a moment. You need to be there with me for just a couple minutes. You are in Christ you are seated in the heavenlies. The ten virgins are all in Christ. They would not be virgins if they were not in Christ. That's what makes them a virgin. All ten. Not five and five. All ten. So then we get into this business of the oil. Because that's the only thing that separates the, the virgins. Five have oil, five don't. Little note on uh, Jewish weddings. A lot of times they occurred at night. And they would prepare for that and they would, they would give them torches. They're called lamps in the parable. They're really torches. Um, I work at a private school. In the fall, they have a pep rally for the last football game of the year. They do a, a big, big rally inside the, the auditorium. And then they light torches and walk out to a place where they light a bonfire. The torches are sticks about this long. They wrap rags around the end of it. They put a wire to contain that. And they dip them in kerosene. What they do is they put them outside the two locations where they're going to march from. And certain people are selected to carry the torches and lead the procession down through the campus to the bonfire site. They put them in buckets with kerosene in them. The five, let's go back to the first, uh, yeah, the five 
the ten virgins, five of them had the torches, but they didn't bring the extra oil in the flask or the, the, the bucket. The five that did were prepared for the bridegroom. So when there was a delay, a time delay, they were ready. The five were not. So the issue becomes oil. The issue becomes oil. Um, what do you know about oil? It's throughout the Bible. Oil stands for the Holy Spirit. You are anointed with oil. Uh, Vine's uh, New Testament of Greek words says, oil means Holy Spirit. So basically in this, this telling of the parable, um, it's about oil. There's oil in your lives. As I said, you were saved and you're seated with Christ. What was the next thing that happened in your walk? He said, I will send them the helper, the comforter, and he will lead them into all things about me. I'm encouraging you this morning to use your time to nurture that relationship with the Holy Spirit. To take your light This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, it's a child's song, but we all should sing it. You can bring light to darkness. You can bring a word of encouragement. You can bring help to those in need. But it has to come from that bucket of oil. If you're delayed... If the, if the groom is delayed, Jesus is delayed, he doesn't show up right away, it seems like things aren't going the right way, you get discouraged, you begin to lose your focus of who you are and where you are, and your light begins to dim, you need to bring some oil with you and dip it in and relight. I, um, a couple years ago, We had a project going on at the school. I'm the assistant grounds manager, and they laid some sod out, a fairly large amount of sod at this site where they, it was the tennis courts. They rebuilt the tennis courts, tore up the place, put it all back together uh, for the opening of school, which was in September. So now it's August. We're going to open up in another two weeks. And they laid sod down uh, at at the tennis courts. And I woke up on Saturday morning. It was a day like the other day where it was hot. And uh, sunny, uh, new sod is not happy with full sun. It needs to be moist. And I woke up thinking, oh, I don't think we have water on there over there. I've got to get in there. I've got to check it out. A Saturday morning. So I got up. I said, Debbie, I got to go. Early 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, I get up, drive in to Cho, right to the site, and um, check it. It was fine. Put, made sure water was on. It was fine. There were several... Uh, uh, men who were playing tennis. It was an adult group that was at the site. It's a beautiful site. And um, and I sat and chatted with them. It was a really nice little time for me to be there and to be with them. And, and uh, the Lord must have been doing something with me. He touched me in some way because of that. The, the mayor was there. That was, that was pretty cool. And, um, and as I left it and came home, it was, it was probably 8, 9 o'clock in the morning now, I was driving out of the area and I, I, I just said, Lord, how come I don't have the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit evident in my life? How come I can sit with a group like that and not be a light to them? It was just a, it was just a prayer. I, I don't know why I prayed it. It just was on my, my thoughts. I, I grew up in a fellowship where the Holy Spirit was very active. And you may have may know that, or you may have known of that, but and I I didn't see that in my life, and I I wanted to see it, and I just said to him, Lord, how come I don't have that evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life? And then I turned on the radio, sports news was on. I mean, hey, why not spend my time doing what I want to do, right? So I drove home, and I drove down the driveway, and and Deb came out. And she said, uh, there's a tag sale down the road. You want to go? Completely forgot about the prayer. I'm on to my day. 
like I said, spending time doing what I wanted to do. And we, we went to the taxi. I said, sure, let's go. And it was just down the street, a couple of houses. And we're walking up and down the driveway. <clears throat> and I got to tell you, we came to a table and this book was on it. And I look at the title and it says, Good morning, Holy Spirit. I had forgotten the prayer. You can't plan that. I said, how much you want for the book? He goes, 50 cents. I said, I'll give you a buck. <laughs> it's worth a lot more than 50 cents to me. I'll be honest with you. I read the book. Now, I like reading Christian authors. I like Watchman Nee, several others I've read. Um, I like it. I love getting these mysteries. The book of Ephesians, uh, MacArthur says, has more references to the mysteries of God than any other place in the Bible. I love mysteries. I love putting things together front and back and then having the opportunity to present them to you or in a Bible study or just having them enrich my lives. So I read the book. I couldn't wait. It's by Benny Hinn. Uh, I don't know if you know Benny Hinn. Um, I don't know him. I didn't know him at the time. The book has none of that in it. <laughs> the book had no mysteries to solve. It was a boring book. <laughs> <laughs> the book's about his testimony, which is not boring. I don't mean to say that his testimony is boring or that his book is boring. You might find it exciting. But it didn't light up my little, I don't know, hobby, whatever you want to call it, my little search for the mysteries of God. It was all about relationships. It was all about him spending time with the Holy Spirit. It didn't have magical buzzwords that brought you from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It was simply about praising God in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He was a young man in Toronto. They had moved from, uh, I believe, Hungary. And they moved to Toronto. And he would go up in his room. And he wouldn't even open the Bible. He would just begin this fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He'd begin praising God. And these deep, as he says, intense moments between him and the Holy Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to do that. If the Lord leads you there, take it. Go. But I'm not saying you got to go there. It's a relationship. Have you ever been in a relationship? Yes, of course you have. Nod, please, everybody nod. Yes, I've been in a relationship. Relationships are difficult. They're hard. Sometimes it's bliss and sometimes it's, uh, you're banging your head against the wall. They rise and they fall. God desires a relationship with everybody in this room, and I know he has one with you. On the one hand, you are seated with him in the heavenlies. Let's go back to, I'm not sure which slide it is now, Jaron. Slide three, I think. Try three. I want to show you one more in, and I, it may not be up there. Okay, let's just go back to the last slide, slide six. When Paul talks about being in the Lord, now, I told you already, when he talks about being in Christ, what does it mean? Do you remember? I'm serious. This is a real question. You have to answer it. <laughs> it's positional. It's where you are. You are saved in Christ. You live in Christ. Christ means Messiah. It means anointed one. It's a heavenly position. He is the promised one from, from Genesis right through the entire Old Testament into the New Testament. It's positional. He acquired that by being obedient to the Father in his walk. But when Paul says, in the Lord, that's relational. So as you read your Bible, make a note of this. In Christ is positional. In the Lord is relational. When he talks about walking, he's talking about walking in the Lord. You got that? It's important. I didn't know this. 
I've been walking in the Lord for 30 plus years. I didn't know this. I felt guilty when I was out of relationship with God. I'm sure you felt guilty. You feel out of whack. You are in Christ positionally. Nobody can take that away from you. But there's this relationship with Jesus that happens in the Lord. That's relational. When you read these scriptures, read and understand which side he's talking about. You are in Christ and you are in the Lord. When you are in Christ, it's positional. When you're in the Lord, you're walking. Now, the walking part's the hard part because you stumble, you fall, you get tripped up, you say the wrong thing, you act like a jerk, you act wise. It happens. He's working on you to bring you to a place where he can accept you into the what? To the, the wedding feast. He's going to bring you into the wedding feast. You're one of the ten virgins. I don't know if you're wise or foolish. But he wants you in with the bridegroom. He doesn't want to shut you out. He wants to draw you in. So he needs to have a relationship with you. He needs you to be in the Lord. And how he does that is through the Holy Spirit. That's why he gave me Benny Hinn's book. That's why he answered my prayer within two hours. It's scary when he does that. <laughs> I got to tell you. All right. Notice the parable. We're going to wrap it up. We'll get you off to your Mother's Day events if that's where you're headed. If not, to uh, maybe a day with the Lord. Um, then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. They need relationship with the Holy Spirit. But the wise answer said, no. There won't be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. That's your walk. How you spend your walk is what you purchase. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. Boom, he's here. And those who were ready went in with the wedding feast and the door was shut. And later the other virgins came in saying, Lord, Lord. Notice the term. That's a relational statement. Open up to us. But he answered what? I do not know you. That's a relational answer. Positionally, they're in heaven. Relationally, they're not in relationship with the bridegroom. Lord, Lord. He doesn't recognize the term. Because you can only say that through the Holy Spirit. Now, again, please forgive me. I don't want to put a heavy on you. I want to encourage you. We all go through this process. We all struggle with who we are in Jesus and who we are in this world when we walk it. Because it's difficult. It's a difficult place to be. If we could put a camera on anybody in this room and followed you around, ah, we'd learn a lot. <laughs> it might not always be the things we want to learn. Uh, I heard some quotes. You know who John Wooden is? If I say the name John Wooden, does anybody know who that is? Basketball coach, UCLA. 11 national championships in a row. He said the character of man is not when he's in front of people, but when he's alone. The character of a person is not when he's in front, but it's when it... Why do our leaders fail us so often? Because they're just like us. But when they're in front, everything is managed. Everything is to make them have a look and have a good face. And then when we get a peek into their private lives, we go, oh, look what he did. And none of us could stand that scrutiny. No one. The Lord wants you to tap into that oil. He wants you involved in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave you with uh, a verse from Ezekiel 47, 1 through 5. And we'll wrap it up on this. Um, Ezekiel is like uh, revelations. It's the Old Testament view of heaven. Very spiritual. 
Matter of fact, when and I taught Revelations a couple of years ago at Christ Community, uh, we referenced Ezekiel a lot. There, there's the difference in, in John's writing in Revelation and Ezekiel's writing in the Old Testament is Ezekiel gets a view of heaven from here, from the earth, because there's no salvation yet. There's no Christ. Whereas John, after salvation, gets a view of heaven from above. Ezekiel writes this in 47, 1 through 5. He says, Then he brought me back to the door of the house. The house is the temple. And behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house towards the east. For the house faced east. And the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. And he brought me out by way of the mouth, the north gate, and led me around on the outside to the outer gate, by way of the gate that faces east. And behold, water was trickling from the south side. And when the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits, and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. Again he measured a thousand, and led me through the water, water reaching the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the loins. And again, he measured a thousand and it was a river. And I could not ford the river or the water for the water had risen enough, enough water to swim in a river that could not be forded. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? And then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now, when I returned, behold, the bank of the river there were very many trees and on the one side and on the other side. And it goes on to describe this river. And it describes life along the river and all swarming things and crawling things and trees beyond count live along the river. The river source is from the altar, from the temple of God. There's a river flowing. And there's people in the river. Some are ankle deep. Some are knee deep. Some are deep up to their waist. Some are in over their heads. Water is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. You have an opportunity to get in that river. To keep your feet in. Some... You'll meet Christians whose toes are just barely in the river. And you go, wow, not much there. You meet some who are up to their knees and some who are up to their waist. And then you meet that Christian who's in deep in the river. And you go, whoa, he's scary. (laughs) He says things I've never heard before. (laughs) And they sound very authoritative. Um, The river flows from the altar out. And that's where life is. Where is the temple today? It's in the hearts. Where two or more are gathered, I am there. That's a temple. It's in the church. The church is God's temple. It's where he dwells. And as Dennis has repeated many a time, it's not four walls. It's in people. And if it's in people, it's in their walks. It's in their oil. And it flows. Comes out of the church and flows down the street. And that's where people gather to get life. That's where you drink it up. You drink it in deep. And you share it and you become a blessing to those around you. I, um, years ago, we used to do things. At church. We used to set up the bookstore. Uh, would need to move all their books from from the store up to a common area where at the opening of school, all the entire school could come through and get their books for the year. And, uh, and we would do that. We no longer do it, thank God. But we did it at this time. And, and I drove over to meet the woman who was managing the store to ask her, when exactly are we going to do this? Because it's, it's laborious, takes time. Uh, it, it needs to be scheduled. And I said, so where are we at with that? She goes, you know, I had some kids. And we were able to do it last night. 
And I go, oh, wonderful. <laughs> That's great. And she, she said, I'm really sorry. I know you, were, you, you had planned on doing this. You had people ready to do it. I said, no, it just means that something else will pop up. In that time frame that I'd planned for that, we'll just use our resources somewhere else. And she looked at me and she said, do you believe in God? And I couldn't see how she connected the two dots. But I had taken my time and I had given it to the Lord. I wasn't so fixated on what I had set aside for time. But I was allowing the Lord to use the time for our crew in a work process so that it was his time, not my time. Sometimes we're caught up in our daily schedule so much that if something influences traffic jam, anything, an argument, that it just balls us all up and we can't get over the time lost. Um, I gave you two good uh, uh, testimonies. Let me give you another real one and we'll shine the light on me for a moment. Time again. Planned a, a golf outing after work with uh, two other guys. Okay? Golf outing. Can't wait. Want to get out and play golf. So we leave right after work. We have to drive the golf course. I'm in my car. They're in another car. I leave first. Come out of the driveway. Bang a left. Out to the light. Oh, there's a woman at the light blocking traffic. So I'm like, ah. You know, we got to get to the course. It's going to be dark soon. Go right around her. Head to the course. Get there. Waiting for the two guys behind me. They're delayed. They don't show up. Where are they? Did, they? did I go to the wrong place? What's going on? 20 minutes later, comes, they come by. I go, where were you? Well, we saw that woman at the light who was broke down in the car. We pulled over. She ran out of gas. We went up to the gas station. We got her a gas can. We went back, and she's on her way. They're not Christians. <laughs> I'm the Christian. <laughs> I just got schooled. They saw a need. They meant it. They took a moment out of their busy time to see a need and they reacted to it. You think that's not convicting? Let a couple of non-Christians teach you how to be a Christian. Talk about a good Samaritan. Just to give you a little bright light on the, on the podium up here for a moment, okay? I encourage you to allow the Lord to take your time. Realize that he created time. He can make minutes last long or short. He can make up for time. He can take it away. You don't have to be guilty about being late. Just invite him in. Make him part of your day. Dip your feet in the river. Fill your bucket with the oil. Your light needs to shine. You are lights unto a dark world. And it's getting darker out there. And the brighter you shine, the brighter you'll be. Lord, I thank you for this word this morning. I pray that you bless those who have heard it. I pray that you bless Dennis, Lord, and his family time today. Go forth with us, Lord. Help us to be wise like these virgins. But if we are not, Lord, remind us that we are still in the kingdom. That we are in no way under condemnation. But rather, Lord, help us to repent and get our feet back in the river. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, I pray that you bless these folks. And thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.